politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots who are treated more like prisoners these days, but you are still patriots here at the Conservative Review Podcast. Daniel Horowitz back in the house for another terrific day here at Blaze Media on Wednesday, the 9th of September, as we count down to another anniversary of September 11th. Prudence versus pandering. Pandering versus prudence. We have one political party that everything they do is about pandering. In fact, everything they do is just utterly clinically insane. You would expect the other party to counter that with prudence. But unfortunately, all the idiots are on the same side. We don't have another party. We don't have our side of the story. We don't have a non-emasculated with an SK apropos for these days, party that actually speaks for the forgotten American, the American that wants to live free, that wants to educate his and her children with the values that they grew up with, that wants a chance to succeed without debt and dependency and handouts and regulations, that wants the government to focus on the one thing it should at a local level, domestic security, at a federal level, national security, border security, and then leave us alone. Show me that party because I don't see it. We have a, a batch of new polling data that demonstrates the folly of GOP pandering and how dumb they are. And I want to get to that with the Hispanic vote in particular, the GOP miscalculation of the Hispanic vote for a number of years and even decades already. I want to first start off with what is going on in the United States Senate. A lot of people forget that although Nancy Pelosi controls the United States House, Republicans still officially control the other two branches, the White House and the Senate. And they could use those two branches mechanically and rhetorically, messaging-wise, to promote an alternative agenda to draw a sharp contrast headed into the election and harness certain leverage points to create a dramatic choice, a dramatic choice that is driven by a budget battle. There's a budget deadline. These are our values headed into the election. These are the values we will fund and not fund in the current budget bill. And that in itself would accentuate the radicalism of what the left is doing by allowing criminals to run loose, blood libels matter to destroy and loot and burn. Burn, loot, and murder, BLM. At the same time, these very same localities criminalize our very existence, put children in literal cages in school, and they would pass a budget that speaks to that. But unfortunately, we're not seeing that. Republicans are voting on what they call, and you might have seen these headlines, the skinny coronavirus stimulus. Now, they know it's not going anywhere. Ultimately, nothing's going to wind up passing. They're going to pass a straight-up continuing resolution for the budget, 
without addressing any of the grievances of the forgotten American. But they're going to pass a separate standalone bill that's called a skinny um, stimulus. I wanted you guys to know that inherent in the actual parlance, the language that is used that McConnell and his ilk are using to describe the GOP blueprint, this is the GOP vision, exemplifies everything that is wrong with this party. Skinny stimulus. What Republicans do is, rather than taking what the left does and shoving it down their throats and showing the American people a complete alternative agenda that speaks to the opposite of what they're trying to do, that demonstrates the folly of what the left is trying to do. They mimic and parrot what the left does, except with a faint and pathetic echo. What Reagan always decried as pale pastels. A skinny stimulus. I I just want you guys, before we get into the economics, the policy, the debt, the spending, the fiscal policy, what it represents... But just just the messaging and politics behind it. If you go and agree to the left that, yes, we need to shut down our our economy, we need mask wearing, we need schools closed or basically closed or half closed, and the economy is in shambles and people's liberty is in shambles, they can't live free life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, one after another. Every aspect of our lives is criminalized. Beyond any degree that even King George ever thought of doing. But we just need to throw a bunch of handouts to make up for what we're doing. A stimulus. And the GOP response is, we need a skinny stimulus. Why would anyone vote for Republicans? You just look pathetic. You look like you're agreeing to their premise, to the veracity of the other side's view that indeed they are correct. Albeit... We're not quite as enthusiastic. We want to do skinny. So they don't have the checks, like the straight up cash payments, but they extend unemployment, which again works against getting people back to work. That was the whole lesson of the last few months. They expend it, extend it, maybe not quite as much as the Democrats want to do, and they have more of this stupid PPP program for the loans that really don't help the true small businesses for the most part. All the while, ignoring the opportunity they have with control of the Senate to hold hearings every day from now until the election. Don't go on recess. Hold hearings every day with people like Scott Atlas and Johnny Yanidis and dozens of people that you might have seen on Twitter putting out good information, demonstrating the lies undergirding the very shutdown that induced the economic destruction that would need and engender any of this legislation to begin with. Solve the problem. End the corona fascism. Have a 14th Amendment. Skinny stimulus. Stimulate the 14th Amendment. Make the 14th Amendment great again with the federal government getting involved and clamping down on all of these infringements upon liberty. The interstate travel bans. The shutdowns of churches. Of private schools. Of businesses. The draconian, at least the draconian level of mask mandates. Condition funding to that. Condition funding 
to ending the lawlessness. So you're addressing both the tyranny and anarchy at the same time. Demonstrate to the American people what you believe in. Um, I think what we want is a skinny stimulus. Dude, I mean, what? So, I mean, this, this thing is like $700 billion or something they want to do instead of $2 trillion or whatever it is. This is the problem with Republicans. It's all about pandering over prudence. And then ironically, they get nothing. They don't get good policy. They don't get good politics. They don't have good messaging. Oh, well, Daniel, we can't have a government shutdown. Do you know, this would be the perfect time to actually play chicken with the Democrats. Because typically, the left is like, oh my gosh, there's going to be a government shutdown. Well, oh my gosh, we have a private shutdown. We have a shutdown of people's lives. Typically, when we have had government shutdowns, how much has it affected your lives? Nothing. If a tree falls in the forest, who knows? This is actually the perfect opportunity to juxtapose a shutdown of the private economy to the shutdown of the government, and people will see which one affects you more. And yes, we will have brinkmanship at a government level until we have America's economy, but more importantly, our liberty open. Instead, Republicans are for more debt and dependency than Obama ever was. You understand with $3.3 trillion in debt, and if they would pass this, it would go over $4 trillion. You understand that that is as much as three, more than three of Obama's worst debt years put together at the pit of the Great Recession. So Republicans have le- left us with nothing but debt and dependency. And guess what this does? This creates personal dependency and debt as well. Which is why I want to introduce you guys today to our sponsor, Bills.com, B-I-L-L-S.com, how to defeat your debt. It sucks to be in debt when you're not someone who has government bailing you out every second, especially if you're a business owner who has all that inventory and supplies that you have to pay for and you don't have the business coming in. Credit cards, student loans, and now you got to pay all those loans for Zoom classes or having your child shut down on a college campus, but you pay the full freight. And government has given a monopoly to the education cartel. Being in debt flat out sucks. I actually have my own personal story. I almost uh, I almost got in trouble. I'll tell you about later. Yesterday was a crazy day for me. But folks, there is a way to defeat your debt thanks to bills.com. Don't lose sleep over maxing out on your credit cards. Stressing over your mortgage payments, student loans, bills.com can help you take back control of your life. So obviously the first step is you have to assess where your monthly payments are. And that begins by getting your free debt assessment. So it's totally free. It only takes a few minutes. You could save up to hundreds or even thousands of dollars each month from debt settlement to personal loan consolidation to student loan and mortgage refinancing, Bills.com has you covered. They go through the full panoply of fiscal individual fiscal policy. They're part of the Freedom Financial Network, which has been in business since 2002. They've settled over $10 billion in debt. Take the first step to defeating your debt. Get your free debt assessment today. Go to Bills.com slash conservative. That's Bills.com 
forward slash conservative bills.com forward slash conservative defeat your debt today. And speaking of debt, Republicans with their pandering to the wrong people and wrong entities, they're not speaking for people like Joanna. She posted this today at our Facebook page, Miniman Speakeasy. If you're not a member, you could request membership. We could invite you. And this way, it's private. So a lot of you are worried about posting and people seeing things and whatever. So that's why we we uh, created the private group in addition to the public fan page of Hurwitz Citizen Sanctuary. And she emails me. She lives uh, in my home state. I discovered your podcast a couple months ago. And she says, I'm a small business owner and a Frederick County, Maryland resident. My business was considered essential, so we weren't shut down. However, the majority of our clients started working from home on March 17th, and most of them have not gone back to work. So I basically lost 80% of our business overnight. So they get hit from that end. Then she talks about yesterday's show with... The college prisons. She has two kids, one at Ohio State and a freshman at Arizona State. We we spoke about both of them being among the most draconian. And he said, she says, my my son at Ohio State lives off campus, has been hanging out with friends, but not one of his classes are in person. So we're paying out of state tuition for him to live in an apartment and take Zoom classes, which he described as busy work. My daughter is at. Arizona State has a couple of classes in person, but the rest are online. So we're paying for her to sit in her dorm room to quote unquote go to class. They also have a mask mandate for everyone on campus, even if there is one, even if there's no one anywhere near you in the 115 degree heat. I'm sorry to say that my son has reported that there are vans driving around looking for people who are attending parties. 300 students were suspended for not following the rules prior to classes even starting. My daughter has told me that the Tempe City Police are driving around doing the same. This is in Arizona, Republican governor. Ohio also is a Republican governor. I'm seeing other students looking for resources to report other students for not following the rules. Since when have college students cared about rules being followed? And she talks about sending emails to the college faculty. No, no one listens. No one listens. What can we do as parents and members of what used to be a free society at this point? It's really sad if you just mix the story of her personal business and her kids. Where is the Republican Party speaking to those people? I mean, I feel bad she's asking me for advice. I don't have much advice. I mean, other than we need to fight back at a local level, but, you know, it's not like she sent them to Berkeley or something. These are supposedly red states with Republicans. Where I mean, this is where the Republicans are frauds. Our skinny stimulus. Really? What about a fat stimulus for for liberty and prosperity and freedom? Instead, in the GOP bill, they were going to hand out in their original bill. This was their talking point, like another 30 or 40 billion to universities to basically imprison our kids without any preconditions of what they need to do to get that money. 
federal government has a powerful printing press. So if you're going to basically indebt us forever, at, at the very least, use that as leverage as a carrot and a stick. Budget bill is due September 30th. Trump has a veto pen. Trump has a bigger megaphone than Joe Biden. He has that bully pulpit. Why don't they act on their behalf? But the only executive action, as we spoke about last week, was on behalf of people defaulting on their rent, facing eviction, barring business owners from evicting, confiscating their property rights. Oh, Daniel, we can't allow the Democrats to win. We might have socialism in America. (laughs) Gee, what about Republicans controlling the Senate and the White House? Or again, what about all the states where Republicans control all three branches? They have both houses of the legislature. Georgia, Arizona, Ohio. Nothing. This is where we are. Pandering over prudence. So anyway, what I wanted to get to with the um, pandering stuff, I thought it was fascinating. I'm sure some of you have seen this. There are two new polls out of Florida. Miami Herald reported that they, they, they have a poll showing Trump, uh, not Trump, Biden struggling with Hispanics in Miami-Dade County. And basically, overall, Biden is leading Trump by just 17 points in Miami-Dade. Now, that sounds like a lot, but my, that, that's the big urban area that they need to run up margins to counteract the rest of the state, which is largely red. Hillary Clinton won Miami-Dade by 30. And what's noted is that's what's what's driving that is Trump is actually up a tick, 47 to 46, among Hispanic voters in Miami-Dade. Okay, that's that's a big deal. In addition to that, you find a statewide poll, not just the county, but from NBC Marist, which shows Trump leading Biden statewide by four points among Hispanic voters. Just for some context, Romney lost the Hispanic vote in Florida by a 21-point margin. And there's also just a slew of national polls demonstrating that Trump, to some degree, is overperforming his share of the Hispanic vote relative to four years ago, which in itself was slightly better than Romney four years before that. So, for example, an NPR poll showed uh, a couple months ago that Biden was leading nationwide by 20. Again, Florida is different because it's largely driven by Cubans, but but even nationwide where it's more driven by Mexicans and some others, um, he was ahead by just 20 points. Hillary won by 38, a 38-point margin. I think uh, Obama was was slightly over 40. Now, we were told for years, if you remember, the Republican Party had something called an autopsy report. An autopsy report. After Mitt Romney, so here's what they do. It's like with with, um, King Ahab, when Elijah came to him and said, have you killed and have you inherited? So they get their loser to be nominated. They lose badly, and then they're like, um, I think we were too conservative and we turned people off. And meanwhile, it was their dunce, dolt, dud, who ran and lost, and they blame it on our people and our messaging. So after Romney lost, they're like, we were too tough on immigration. Um, 
we must embrace and champion comprehensive immigration reform. Our party's appeal will continue to shrink to its course constituency only. They even quoted Dick Armey, who started Freedom Works, radical libertarian, as saying, quote, you can't call someone ugly and expect them to go to the prom with you. So in other words, it, uh, under their hispandering, their pandering to Hispanics, the narrative was that unless you speak in Spanish, run ads in Spanish, talk about amnesty and more immigration, you're going to continue to lose the Hispanic vote. And I've always said for, for a long period of time that, no, I mean, most Hispanics, the majority, like every ethnic group, is going to vote Democrat. There's enduring political scientific reasons for that that have nothing to do with immigration. To the extent you get 30 35%, you're not going to lose that by being tough on immigration because they're already with you. And to the extent you're going to chip away at those numbers, it's not going to be from pandering. It's going to be from showing strong leadership on security and prosperity and other things that people care about more. And then, mind you, there's the other 90% or 88% of the electorate that largely doesn't want any of this stuff and is even more hawkish against illegal immigration. So, you know, you're losing their vote over this. Well, Trump, whether we like it or not, we have issues with Kushner and, you know, all the people in the administration doing things that are kind of mixed messages on immigration, pushing DACA, this and that. But at the end of the day, that... You know, you guys get it. You guys are smart, but to your average voter, it's lost on them. To your average voter, Trump is may as well be me on immigration. Okay. I mean, he, under the system that the GOP establishment has set up for 20 years, Trump violated every rule of how to appeal to them. He has called them, quote, ugly in their language, in the way that the GOP consultants think, in every which way. I'll never forget after Trump made that announcement, you know, in the spring of 2015 is the, the famous escalator speech. There was a Washington Post columnist who warned, quote, Donald Trump's Mexican rapist rhetoric will keep the Republican Party out of the White House. Well, not only did he win, it turns out as time goes on, he keeps getting more um, of the Hispanic vote. Again, in Florida, it might be downright, he might downright win it. Um, in the rest of the country, he's not going to win it, but he's actually gained ground rather than lose ground. And I noted this already. I noted this during the midterms when Republicans lost badly. CNN had an exit poll directly asking this. Do you think Trump's position on immigration was, quote, too tough or about right, not tough enough? Okay. So I took a look at the Hispanic share the Hispanic crosstab on that exit poll question in states with significant Hispanic populations. Arizona, 35% of Hispanics said too tough. 58% said about right or not tough enough. Texas was 43-52. Georgia, 35-60. Florida, 41-54. So Republicans are on the cusp of losing the Senate race and really the presidential race in Arizona now. And, they, and they're like out there with the mixed messages pandering on everything. And they won't talk about the fiscal cost to Arizonans of illegal immigration. Oh, no, no, you can't mention that. Remember last year I talked about this Harvard-Harris poll that showed overwhelmingly the Americans agree with us on every immigration issue. Now, to be fair, the Hispanic numbers were less than other groups like blacks and whites. 
but it was still a super majority or or sometimes not a super majority but a, but at least a, a basic majority so you can't tell me you're losing ground because of that 58% of Hispanics would be more likely to support a candidate who supports, quote, strengthening our border to reduce illegal immigration. 56% of Hispanics oppose green cards for those likely to become a public charge. 57% oppose granting driver's licenses to illegal aliens. And 65% think illegal aliens should not be able to collect welfare, disability, and health care payments from state and federal governments. So there's no way you could tell me that the way to win their vote is by becoming more pro-amnesty. I mean, I'm just telling you, this is a remarkable story that has been lost in the shuffle. We had this debate. I mean, I've been debating this for 15 years. The fights I've had, the same thing, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute, the, um, the parallel story with the black vote and crime. Like, oh, the way you appeal to blacks is by being pro-criminal. The way you uh, appeal to Hispanics is by being pro-illegal alien. It's insulting. It's patronizing. And it's just stupid politics in addition to being wrong for the country. And, I mean, if you would have said, based on their knowledge years ago, that Trump would be doing better with the Hispanic vote than anyone else, it would have been like, oh my gosh, it's crazy. But like, see, Jared Kushner is going to the, the wicked always walk in darkness, right? The more darkness they have, the more they trip over themselves. So he's going to continue that as like a confirmation bias of the need to push amnesty. Like, what? What are you talking about? And it's the same thing with the black vote. Aha, the way to get the black vote is by being pro-criminal. When you drill down to the issue, the majority of them want more policing. They want to get rid of the gangs, it's the criminal element that doesn't want it, and the criminal element ain't ever voting Republican. So you're not appealing to the black vote, you're appealing to the criminal vote. You would, you would hope they learn this lesson. I mean, we obviously have the Gallup poll that recently came out showing overwhelming support among blacks for police. And, and that's the story. They keep the pandering up. Kushner just doesn't get it. Now, there is evidence, we'll see if it pans out, just like with the Hispanic vote, that Trump has made some degree of gains with the black vote. I'm suspicious of some of these polls having him get 20, 30% of the black vote. But I I think you'd say overall there is evidence of him making gains. Now, they're going to continue to walk in dark as, oh, well, that's because of of the jailbreak. No. Because... By the same, that same pandering mindset, he would be doing better, he, he shouldn't be doing better with Hispanics. The reason in my mind is obvious. It's the same reason Trump does very well with white working class voters. Meaning, there's a bunch of different constituencies, in some ways they're polar op- opposites, in some ways they're the same. Let's say you have five, six, seven different demographics, they overlap in different ways. Some ways they're, you know, more opposite each other than another group. Some ways they're more similar. And it's like that too. In many ways, you know, um, a lot of like the white rural voters are like the opposite of urban blacks and Hispanics, culturally in many different ways. But there are elements that they're actually very similar to them. And I think one of the things that endears Trump to white um, rural voters endears him 
to a certain share of black and Hispanic voters. And that is kind of just the plain talking, straight talking, you know, not non double speak, you know, political speak that some of the wealthier white college educated voters really enjoy that. And they're repulsed by Trump's personality. These people like it. Now, again, overwhelmingly at the end of the day, the majority of blacks, majority of Hispanics because of enduring reasons that have nothing to do with Trump or immigration or crime are going to continue voting Democrat for a while. But to the extent you're going to chip away at them, the appeal comes from just his persona, which again is a double-edged sword. It's what turns off certain wealthier white suburban voters. And that's the balance there. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious what's going on here. There's nothing to do with immigration with Hispanics. It has nothing to do with being pro-criminal, getting the black vote. It's his persona. And, you know, in fact, if he would be tougher on those issues, because remember, the illegal immigration issue is the same principle as the black criminal issue in that criminals, by and large, harm those in their communities first and foremost. So we we certainly see that with the data on, on, on black victims of crime. But it's the same thing with Hispanics. I mean, when we talk about sanctuary cities and MS-13, I, we see it here in my state of Maryland, around the Washington, D.C. area. When you talk about the rapes, uh, the child molesting among illegal aliens, which is very pervasive. Who are those victims? They are overwhelmingly of the same ilk, right? That That's just what always happens. Drunk driving is a little bit more pervasive. It's a little bit more out on the streets. It's random. It could be anywhere, anyone. But a lot of the the, the sex crimes, the gang crimes, it's overwhelmingly... Hispanic victims. So again, it just pandering is stupid on so many levels. It backfires. You can never outbid the left on being more pro-amnesty, on being more pro-criminal, being more pro-spending and debt and welfare. You have to come with an alternative agenda that speaks to the antecedent of the problem in itself that is engendering a discussion over the pandering. So in other words, in the case of you know criminal justice, it's, well, what is creating the crime in the first place? Right? In the case of the so-called stimulus, coronavirus stimulus, well, what is creating the economic malaise to begin with? That's what you speak to. You don't speak to the same pseudo-problem that the Democrats created and are addressing it's like, let's say you have a bunch of guys come in and set, you know, like BLM guys come in and you set fire to a city. And then you parachute in a couple minutes later, dressed up as firefighters, like, hey, there's a fire, we need to put it out. So, like, if you're the other side, you come down there on the scene and like, yeah, yeah, they're right. Let's let's join in and put out the fire. You're like, hey, USOBs, you guys set the fire to begin with. And here's how we prevent those fires from being set to begin with. We lock you guys up. Which message is going to resonate with people more? Again, I don't have a blueprint to getting a majority of the black and Hispanic vote, but we don't need to get it. You just need to get a little bit more without bleeding, needlessly bleeding white suburban voters. The way to get all of them is being tough on crime. Is to demonstrating the fallacy of Corona occult, COVID Kardashian Fauci. 
That's the way to do it. That is the blueprint forward. So I wanted to move on. There is, as always, a lot of coronavirus news that maybe we didn't get a chance to cover. But I wanted to discuss one other aspect of the GOP failure, and that is the courts. We haven't talked about the courts in a while. It's one of the things we've you know, put on the back burner with our lives being changed. But it really does tie into this. So notice how we have the worst, most widespread, protracted violations of basic life, liberty, and property that we've ever had in our lifetime. And yet the courts that seem to love protecting rights, so-called rights, somehow they are nowhere to be seen. Nowhere. Nowhere to be seen. Except they are somewhere to be seen. They are still creating rights at breakneck speed. The same courts, the same judges that say speak to the hand when we are begging for relief, begging for some sort of investigation into whether states could wield such power with such devastating consequences without evidence, without showing showing their work, without limitations and time limits. Suddenly they come in and say, suddenly they're so powerful in stopping even the federal government, much less the state government, from doing a basic function. So as you all know, we, we talked about this last year. The Trump administration completely capitulated on the census on not fighting to count the number of citizens in the census, the entire purpose of the census. They could have easily fought back. They gave into the courts. One of the big failures of this supposed conservative court. Well, now an Obama judge just came out a couple days ago and said that the, the census is not allowed to stop taking the census. So first they're like, you can't count. And now they're like, you can't not count. You count and don't count when we tell you to count. U.S. District Judge Lucy Coe, California judge, Northern District, put a temporary restraining order on Saturday blocking the administration's plans that would have curtailed the census timing. Basically, they were going to wrap it up. ABC News reported that the statistical agency said it would prevent further layoffs of some census takers who are in the late phases of making headcounts, some of whom are still being assigned homes to visit before a court hearing for a preliminary injunction is held September 17th. Basically, it was the Urban League, Women League of Voters, all these urban groups, they ordered that the census plans to end operations in September be, be restrained and give them an extra month. And as always, they said it's going to lead to undercounting blacks and minorities. So as always, um, implicit in what they say is something that's extremely racist, extremely racist, I, mu I must say. Because what they're basically saying is that blacks are too stupid to fill out a census and they need more time than anyone else. I mean, that's what they're saying. Like, there's one thing you say, like, there's not enough time across the board. But they're saying it's going to lead to an undercount of blacks. And, you know, I was reading through the judge's opinion and she's like, you know, the the the, the hallmark of a temporary restraining order is when the, the plaintiffs are going to suffer irreparable harm in the short run, and we can't let it go on. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, like all these cases 
of irreparable harm to businesses and school children based on these corona fascist stuff built upon lies. We never had a temporary restraining order. So there's now a right to have the census go on. I have the right to sue the government to have the census go on for a certain period of time. My rights are being violated. <laughs> but my rights aren't being violated to put a damn diaper on my breathing passageways, on my lungs, indefinitely, indoors, many places outdoors now, without any evidence, any time limit, shut down my business, regulate my business, shut down private schools, shut down churches, imprison college kids without due process, based on something that's less than a cold for almost all of them. Somehow then the judges aren't there. Folks, I am here to tell you the judicial tyranny is worse than it's ever been and Republicans have not solved it one iota. But I move on. Let's go on to the next case. Appeals court rejects Oklahoma City anti-panhandling law. It's from the San Francisco Chronicle. Oklahoma City, Oklahoma City, a so-called red state. So Daniel, the Ninth Circuit is terrible, but the Tenth Circuit, that's where Neil Gorsuch was from. That Trump has really made a difference, right? So I want you guys to, again, think about this powerful juxtaposition for a moment. Think about it. So here we have, in the state of Oklahoma, and really more so in other states, where the government can deem your business non-essential. You could have followed all the rules, got your licenses, filled out all your reports and taxes every year, and you are arbitrarily shut down. Screw you. Your business is done. How many have gotten injunctions against the federal government? State, I mean, state governments. None that I know of except maybe the Wisconsin Supreme Court. Talk to the hand. You don't have a right. Suddenly, in comes the Tenth Circuit and rules unanimously. Republican-appointed judges were on it. That an anti-panhandling law, so basically people going up and down, disrupting parks and sidewalks and public streets, they have a First Amendment right to free speech to panhandle their goods. Why aren't you spreading COVID? That's an essential business. I want you guys to think about that. If you don't get it, think about it for another five minutes. The power of that juxtaposition. Your business could be shut down at any moment, but a state cannot clear, a city cannot clear its public streets of people blocking traffic, the squeegee boys, the whatever those dudes are called, water bottle dudes. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. American Civil Liberties Union of Oklahoma was thrilled. This is the first time the 10th Circuit has ruled that medians are part of the traditional public fora that make up the city spaces with the most free speech protections. 
Right now, what it means is that protesters, panhandlers, curbside chronicle vendors, joggers, journalists can return to Oklahoma City medians to express themselves, solicit for life-saving funds, and advocate for political candidates. Folks, you can't recover from a society where fundamental rights are flipped on their head so much. You as an individual, you cannot merely stay in a negative state of being and walk outside in many places without being gagged your mouth and your nose. But you have the right to distract traffic in a median and panhandle. This is the society we live in. Notice all those groups always get standing and they get a ruling. We are languishing for six months with nothing. And then, of course, there's Bostock, the transgenderism, the gender bending, the balls cutting, the female genitalia, mutilation, mixing men with women in all of our public places. I, I haven't even had time to get to this, but there is a torrent of court cases at a lower level based on Bostock, Gorsuch's opinion that men are women and women are men, and that's codified into Civil Rights Act. This is the latest from the Washington Free Beacon. Federal courts across the country are already leveraging June's, they say LGBT rights. I hate when conservative websites use that decision to change bathroom access rules and allow transgender athletes to participate in women's sports. Um, relying on the Supreme Court surprising ruling in Bostock v. Clayton County, which barred workplace discrimination against gay and transgender. Two, P- two federal appeals courts covering eight states sided with transgender students challenging bathroom access policies. While a federal judge in Idaho struck down a state law restricting women's sports to biological females. We talked about that before. And um, basically, where is this? In his dissent, Justice Samuel Alito warned that over 100 federal statutes similarly ban discrimination because of sex. One of those statutes is Title IX, which prohibits sex discrimination in schools. The court's logic in Bostock, which doubtless applied to a Title IX lawsuit featuring trans students in bathrooms segregated by, segregated by biological sex, Alito predicted. Um, the court provides no clue why a transgender person's claim to such bathroom or locker room access might not succeed under Title IX, the justice wrote. And at the time, if you remember, um, uh, Gorsuch like denied that. No, this is just the reading of this one statute. It's like, yeah, right. But we had the um, Fourth Circuit ruled in a, b- a bathroom case allowing the opposite gender there. Quote, this is from Judge Henry Floyd. After the Supreme Court's recent decision in Bostock, we have little difficulty holding that a bathroom policy precluding Grimm from using the boys' restroom discriminated against him on the basis of sex. Uh, just three weeks earlier, on August 7th, the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals ruled in favor of Drew Adams, a trans male student in Florida. I don't even know what that means. Um, and there we go. There we go, folks. This is where we are as a nation. This is where we are. How sad. How so terribly sad. What Obama couldn't accomplish. You remember, he tried this, didn't really go anywhere with his executive action, obviously overturned by Trump. But when it's done by the courts, or at least we are told, it's permanent 
and there's nothing we can do. We need a constitutional amendment to say that a man is a man, that testicles are testicles. I mean, I'm sorry to get graphic there, but I mean, that's how absurd and desensitized we've become to the truth. All because of Trump's greatest accomplishment, Gorsuch. The most disruptive thing. We were girding our loins for a 50-year battle to fight this, to fight this. They won it overnight without firing a shot. With not just any Republican, but the crown jewel of conservative judicial picks. Which was the entire purpose of this presidency. Folks, that is the dictionary definition of perfidy perfidy embodied there we go republicans pander because they're too scared to fight this issue because they think everyone is mentally ill and screwed up by the way there's tons of news stories on the virus i don't have time to get to i just wanted to get to one that pew research has a survey out that shows that a majority of young adults live with their parents for the first time I'm not kidding you. The majority of young adults now live with their parents. They basically say 52% of 18 to 29-year-olds live with their parents, surpassing the previous peak during the Great Depression era. Again, these are these X factors that I keep talking about, that how you destroy a civilization, that the corona destruction, the corona fascism destruction it's much worse than the people it kills from the physical ailments that go undiagnosed. And then you have the the drug overdose and the suicide. Just the quality of humanity. The marriage is destroyed. Kids having to move back in with their parents. Young adults. By the way, you know what's funny? This is the worst of all. This is the worst of everything. So in other words, they're treating kids. They're They're like kicking them out of college campuses, blocking herd immunity on the cheap for a non-risk population, and ironically putting them with older parents. And they're exposing them even more, right? So like if you have, let's say, parents who are, I don't know, you know, 55, 60 years old, you know, for at that age, you know, you have kids in your 20s, depending on when you have kids. For most people, again, it's not a problem at that age yet. Um, but if you have conditions, then it could be a problem. And it's the worst of all worlds because now the kids are going to be back. So it reduces low-risk herd immunity and exposes the more vulnerable people. Again, folks, this is why D.A. Henderson, the great epidemiologist of Johns Hopkins before they got funded by the Gates Foundation and went... Insane. Widely credited for eradicating smallpox. He, he entertained in 2006 the idea of lockdown. And he said the negative consequences of large-scale quarantine are so extreme that this mitigation measure should be eliminated from serious consideration. These are just some of the undefined, less considered ramifications But boy, are they devastating and important nonetheless. Societies need to internalize this. People need to learn this lesson. Because the politicians won't. We have to do it for them. 
He also wrote, there are no historical observations or scientific studies that support the confinement by quarantine of groups of possibly infected people for extended periods in order to slow the spread of influenza. And this is really the same thing. But there we are. Again, we have a political party that's supposed to be fighting the Democrats, but they do nothing more than pander in a meek and feckless way. The B-team version, the pale pastel version of whatever the left is putting out at any given moment, they don't fight back with prudence, science, godly values. They are emasculated with their stupid mask wearing. What about us? Again, it's got to start on a local level. You got to get in the faces of your county councilmen, county executives, your sheriff, your school board members. At least if you live in a place where it's somewhat red, that's where you got to start. We're going to have more shows on that, more guests, local officials in the coming days to try to gauge where we're holding with that. You could always send me an email, dharwitz at blazemedia.com. Follow me on Facebook at Horowitz Citizen Sanctuary, as well as Miniman Speakeasy. Till tomorrow, thank you for listening, and God bless you all.